At this time, let's turn in our Bibles to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 17, and we'll be reading up through chapter 5 and verse 2. Ephesians 4, verse 17 through chapter 5, verse 2. Let's give careful attention now to the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of His Word to us this evening. Amen. Seeking the Lord's help and blessing, let's stay right there in Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that we just read. As we continue our consideration of sinful anger, This morning, having considered what sinful anger is, seeking to understand something about it, and now this evening, with God's help, seeking to defeat sinful anger. How can we overcome this deadly sin? This morning, just to review some of what we've covered, we considered a definition from Richard Baxter a definition of anger. He says, anger is a passionate emotional response to a perceived evil that would cross us or hinder us from something good. 
It has been given to us by God for our good. It stirs us up to vigorous resistance against anything that opposes God's glory, our salvation, our real good, or the good of our neighbors. Anger is therefore good when it is used to its appointed end in the right manner and measure, but anger may be sinful. And we said that uh, that this is a helpful definition as we're considering Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And then verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, etc. be put away from you. When Paul says to put away wrath and anger, he's not saying that all anger is sinful. In fact, we have a duty to be angry. So anger is good. It's a passionate emotional response to a perceived evil that would hinder our good or the good of our neighbor or that would oppose the glory of God. God gives us anger as a way in which we can reflect His glory. Most of the references to anger in the Bible are positive references to the anger or wrath of God. So God has created us in His image and we ought to be angry. We ought to be angry with sin. We ought to be angry with our own sin. We ought to be angry with the, the, the consequences of sin that hinder the advancement of God's kingdom and the good of ourselves and our neighbor. We ought to be angry when there's injustice in the world, when there's misery and so on and so forth. We need to be angry. But we need to be angry in a righteous way. Be angry and do not sin. We considered this morning a number of varieties of sinful anger. We said that there is anger without a just cause, where rather than becoming angry at some actual sin or injustice that has occurred, instead we equate personal inconvenience or displeasure with injustice. Matthew 5.22, Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're worthy of the judgment. And so rather than being angry at things that warrant anger, we're angry at things that simply personally inconvenience ourselves. There's also then anger that's produced by a selfish motive. That's another type of sinful anger. Perhaps there is a sin that's occurred. Perhaps there is an injustice or an evil that has taken place. And we're angry about it. We try to justify ourselves and say, well, no, it's not just a personal inconvenience. I'm angry at this sin or this injustice. But if we're honest, oftentimes we're very selective about the injustices or the sins that anger us. We're often angry primarily at the sins or injustices that personally inconvenience us, but other sins that don't bother us or don't inconvenience us at all, we're not concerned about those things. There's a double standard. Especially, we're angry at other people's sins that bother us, but for some reason we're not so angry about our own personal sins. So even though there is an injustice taking place, our motivation for being upset about it is really selfish at the core. So there's anger without a just cause. There's an anger that's selfishly motivated. Thirdly, we saw that anger can be displayed in an inappropriate manner or to an inappropriate degree. Rash or indiscreet anger. We saw that manifested in terms of anger that goes overboard. Too much anger. 
There might be an injustice like the, the rape of Dinah in the book of Genesis, but Jacob's sons, though they have a right to be angry at the man who perpetrated that crime, instead they slaughter the whole village and city of Shechem. They kill all the men in Shechem. Their anger was overmuch. It was too much. And they, they, they went overboard. We can often do that, making mountains out of molehills. Also, our anger can be hasty. We're quick to anger. The book of James says we ought to be slow to anger, just as God is slow to anger. We ought to be patient. We ought to think before we react and respond. Oftentimes, we're quick to the trigger. We can also have anger that lasts too long. We can hold a grudge. We can develop bitterness and resentment toward people. Rather than refusing to let the sun go down on our wrath, we're actually cultivating this, keeping a record of wrongs, and over the years even, developing deeper and deeper levels of bitterness and resentment toward other people, refusing to forgive them, so on and so forth. So, so these are some aspects of sinful anger. We saw different expressions of sinful anger as that anger builds up in our hearts. It can manifest itself through angry communication, our words, our tone of voice, our facial expressions, venting on people or speaking, gossiping behind their back, slandering them, angry communications, angry actions that express sinful anger where you know the, the little leaguer strikes out and doesn't like the call of the umpire, throws his bat, throws his helmet. You know, we can we can punch the wall, we can slam doors. We saw the you know the Daniel Tiger cartoon where they say, sing the song, stomp three times whenever you're angry, you know, get it out of your system. But obviously the moment we begin to manifest angry actions, it just gets the ball rolling and it leads to further anger and, and, and potentially violent and abusive behavior. We also noted the seriousness of sinful anger, that we can take this sin of anger lightly because according to studies, 10 to 14 times every day, the average American expresses anger. 10 to 14 times a day, the average person in our country is angry. And so we think, well, this is no big deal. Sinful anger is all around us. It's perhaps part of our daily routine in some sense, and so we just don't take it seriously. But we noted this morning that it's a damnable sin. Jesus says if we're angry without a cause in our heart toward our brother, we're worthy of the judgment. We're in danger of the judgment. He says if we call our brother a fool or an empty head, we're in danger of hell fire. Galatians 5 lists anger and outbursts of wrath as one of the works of the flesh that marks out someone who will not inherit the kingdom of God. We saw it's also a struggle for believers. That even those, Ephesians 4, who are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God for the day of redemption can still grieve the Holy Spirit by not putting away bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking with malice. So this is an issue that defines us in some sense. If if we are angry people, if we are characterized by an unrepentant lifestyle of anger, that's a sign that we're dominated and enslaved to the flesh and in need of being converted. At the same time as believers, we can expect to fall into this sin, to be tempted in this sin, to have to battle against this sin on a regular basis, repenting and seeking forgiveness and grace to overcome it. This is a destructive sin. This is a type of sin where our mindset ought to be 
kill or be killed. If we don't kill our anger, our anger is going to be killing us. If we don't destroy it, it's going to destroy us. If we don't defeat it, it's going to defeat us. And in the book of Job, you see a number of statements that I think are, are helpful for us as we just kind of whet our appetite and, and preface our thoughts here as we seek to find a way to defeat this, this sin. Why do we need to defeat it? Job 5.2, For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. Job 18.4, You who tear yourself in anger. Think about that. When you engage in sinful anger, you're only, oh, I shouldn't say you're only, you're hurting a lot of other people, no doubt about that, but you're hurting yourself. The Bible speaks of those who are angry in a sinful way as tearing themselves in anger. This is a, a destructive sin. Proverbs 15, verse 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. So this is going to fill your life with strife, with quarreling, with bitter conflict. Proverbs 21, verse 19 A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Wrath leads us to greater and greater sins, greater and greater consequences. Proverbs 22, verse 24 Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. So the Bible is actually counseling people to not be around you if you're an angry person. You're constantly angry. The Bible says steer clear of that person because it, it's going to cause problems. Uh, that, that's a humbling thing, but it's a reality. Proverbs 27, verse 3. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. Sinful anger places a burden upon you and upon everybody around you. It's a heavy burden. And we could look at many, many different passages, especially in the Proverbs, additional verses that bear this out. This is a destructive sin. We ought to right now make it clear in our hearts and minds we are declaring war on sinful anger. We are not going to tolerate it in our hearts, in our lives. We are going to prayerfully fight against it. And we need to fight against it. We need to defeat this sin of sinful anger. Now, in order to do that, we need to understand the root causes of sinful anger, particularly among Christians. What are the root causes of sinful anger in your life? Why are you engaging in sinful anger? Why is it welling up within you? Well, let's stop for a second and think about a situation where you are angry. Perhaps somebody has done something to you, something in your circumstances has triggered you, you are now angry, and you're about to go off. Let's hit the pause button and think about it for a moment. Why are you angry? That's a question that God asks Cain, I think it is. Why are you angry? What are the root causes of your sinful anger? Well, there are a number of them that we can think about. First, it could be that you have the wrong source of contentment. You have the wrong source of contentment. You're angry. In other words, you're discontented. You're displeased. You're upset about your circumstances 
which may indicate that in fact your contentment, unbeknownst to you perhaps, has, has been grounded all the while, not in God, not in Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but your contentment has been grounded and founded in your circumstances. And so when your circumstances go up, down, and all around, your temper, your attitude goes up, down, and all around. You're tethered and tied to your circumstances such that you can't have pleasure, joy, cheerfulness, or contentment unless your circumstances are favorable. And so there could be various aspects of your circumstances that you in particular latch on to for your personal contentment. It could be personal comfort and ease. It could be your convenience. It could be affirmation from other people. It could be honor that you receive, recognition, respect. It could be enjoyment, fun, entertainment, whatever it is, when those things are threatened in your circumstances where now there's discomfort, uh, now there's inconvenience, now you're experiencing dishonor or disrespect or something that's not fun or somebody who's not affirming you and encouraging you. And when those circumstances upon which you've built your house of contentment begin to shake and begin to, to be moved, your contentment is gone and you're angry. And at this point, I could step in and say, is Jesus Christ enough to make you content? And of course, as a Christian, you would say, well, yes, of course, Jesus is enough. Jesus is my all in all. The promise of God, the salvation of God, the eternal hope of glory, all these things that God has revealed and that God has given to me in and through Jesus Christ. God is my Father. I'm adopted as a child of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I have personal assurance of salvation. We could go on and on. My sins are forgiven. I mean, read through Psalm 103. Forget not His benefits. It's all there. And you have it. If you're a Christian, and we're dealing here with Christians, is that enough? Is Jesus Christ all that He is to you? All that He's done in your life? all that He's done for you, and all that He has promised and guaranteed for your eternal destiny of joy and blessedness, isn't that enough? And you say, well, yes, that's enough, um, but, and you see, that's the problem. When we come in and we, and we begin to pivot away from that. Why pivot away from that? Why say but? Why does there need to be a but? There doesn't need to be a but. You have Jesus. If He's enough then you need to preach that to yourself and deal with whatever circumstances are bothering you. And you, be, you need to begin to self-consciously, proactively build your house upon Jesus. Build your life, your contentment, your joy upon one who is unshakable and who will never be moved so that you can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So, Oftentimes, the root cause of sinful anger is that we have the wrong source of contentment. Well, it might be something else. It might be that you're experiencing sinful anger because you have the wrong assessment of yourself. What do I mean by that? Well, oftentimes when we're angry, the implicit premise in our thinking is, I deserve better. I deserve to be treated better. 
I deserve for other people to, to affirm me and encourage me and respect me. I deserve to enjoy comfort and the fruit of my labor. And, and here I am doing all this and it's unfair. It's unjust. I deserve better. You may not say it that way, but right? That's the implicit premise. When we're, ang- we're angry that we're not getting what we should get. Or we're getting something... I don't deserve to be talked to that way. I don't deserve to be treated that way. And in a certain sense, that may be the case. Right? It may be that somebody is sinning against you. But ultimately, do you really deserve better in the grand scheme of things? What do you actually deserve? When you say, it's not fair, I deserve better. You see how you've moved away from your basic beliefs and convictions as a biblical Christian. You've moved away from the truths that we just heard about in the psalm meditation. When you think to yourself, you know what, this isn't fair, I deserve better, you've forgotten the biblical assessment of yourself and what you deserve. You've forgotten that according to the Word of God, you and I are foolish, irritating, self-centered, hell-deserving sinners. In terms of God's holiness, in terms of His all-seeing eye, perceiving every aspect of our hearts and lives, we are at best irritating to the Lord. At worst, we provoke His wrath and curse in ourselves, our behavior in other words. We do things that God hates every single day. We think things that God hates. We do things that God hates. We, we say things that God hates every single day. And that's not fair. It's not fair to God. But we deserve judgment for that. If we got what we deserved, if we got our wages, the wages of sin is death. If we got the circumstances that we deserved, we would be burning in hell right now. Now I know you know that. Every Christian knows that. If you don't know that, you're not a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you know that. You know that if you got what you deserved, you'd go to hell. And that yes, technically you're a foolish, irritating, self-centered, hell-deserving sinner. But the fact is, you need to remind yourself of that because when you fall prey to sinful anger, you're forgetting that biblical assessment of yourself. You're adopting a false, a wrong, a worldly assessment of yourself and what you deserve. Just get back to Ephesians 4. Notice what it says here in verse 32. Right? Verse 31 says, Put away the wrath and the anger, the bitterness. Verse 32, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So if we adopt a biblical assessment of ourselves, foolish, irritating, self-centered, hell-deserving sinners, and then we look at how God in Christ has related to us, having compassion, being tender-hearted, forgiving our sins, God the Father giving His only begotten Son so that we might not perish but have everlasting life. When you begin to think of the way God has dealt with us in all of our wicked sinfulness, it ought to stir us up to, to think about that for a moment and to think about how gracious God has been to us and how we ought to be gracious toward others. But when we forget our sinfulness, think of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4, he's angry that God spared Nineveh. 
He's irritated by this. He's upset that God did not send judgment on Nineveh. And we could debate why that is. We don't have time to do that. But the point is, clearly Jonah was not mindful of his own sinfulness and of the mercy and grace that God had shown him. Because if he had been thinking about that at that moment, his heart would have gone out. He would have been rejoicing at God having spared Nineveh in response to their repentance. But instead, he's just filled with this sense of what he deserves and how it's going to impact him. And eventually, he's, he's angry that the plant that was providing him shade withered. And God has to come to him repeatedly and say, Jonah, is it good, is it right for you to be angry? What if I gave you what you deserve, Jonah? Reminds us of the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He's angry that when his his rebellious brother repents and comes home, the father throws a lavish celebration, a prodigal celebration, going going beyond the limits in in throwing this, this extravagant celebration in honor of the return of his son. And the elder brother is angry. And he says, you didn't even give me a young goat to go out and party with my friends. He says, I've slaved for you. I've served you. I didn't even get what I deserved. And now you're showing grace to this son of yours. My friends, we need to be very careful when we're angry, when we just can't forgive someone. We can't get over it. We can't overcome it. We can't put away and and bury the hatchet. We, we, We can't just relinquish the bitterness and the grudge and, and put away, tear up that record of wrongs and move on. We can't do it and we need to remember that God has been so gracious to us. What if God held a grudge against us? We would be toast. Thirdly, another root cause of sinful anger among Christians is that we allow ourselves to develop a wrong attitude toward others. Why has God put other people in your life? Why are they there? Well, biblically, God has put other people in your life. One of the reasons He's put them in your life is the same reason that Jesus came into the world. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give Him His life as a ransom for many. God has put people in your life to serve, for you to serve them. He's put people in your life for you to learn obedience through suffering, for you to be long-suffering and patient with other people, forgiving them and bearing with them in, in precisely the same way that God has forgiven you and showed forbearance toward you. God puts people in your life so that you can be more like Christ, who was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Other people are not in your life to make your life better, to make your life more convenient. Other people are not in your life like programmable devices or apps on your phone that you you just expect to do whatever you want them to do. And if they don't, you get angry and, and, and pound the keyboard. We often treat other people the way we treat devices. We're so used to this convenient technology that when we want something done, we push the button, we we hit the keyboard, whatever it is, and it happens. And and when the remote control doesn't work, we get upset. If it doesn't work within three quarters of a second, what's wrong with this thing? We treat people that way. Half the time when we're interacting with people, it's on a device, and, and, and that complicates it as well. But 
we treat people like programmable devices to enhance our personal convenience. And the more addicted we get to devices, the more impatient we get with real people who don't react in three quarters of a second, who sometimes don't react in three quarters of an hour. I mean, people are people. They're not devices. And people are not here to serve us for personal convenience. We're here to serve them and to become more like Jesus. And Jesus' life was filled with frustration. It was filled with unreasonable people treating Him in an unreasonable way. So if you're going to be like Jesus, guess what God has planned for you? God has a wonderful plan for your life. And it involves putting you around people that are going to help you be more like Jesus, who was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And and so we need to be mindful of this. We need to reject this wrong, worldly attitude toward other people. One secular psychologist has defined impatience in this way, coming to the realization that reaching my goal will be more costly than I had anticipated. Coming to the realization that reaching my goal will be more costly than I had anticipated. You see, when we're interacting with people, and in that interaction it becomes evident that because of some dynamic in the relationship or something they're doing or not doing, our goals are going to take more time or cost more money or there's some inconvenience, we become impatient. But biblically speaking, we can't be like that. We can't latch on to our goals and the efficiency of our agenda and make an idol out of our own personal desires. We need to flip the script and we need to think about why has God put such and such person in my life that's difficult? Why has God put me in these circumstances that are difficult? And think about the purpose for these things which is to make you like Christ. A fourth root cause of sinful anger. Wrong expectations for this life. Wrong expectations for this life. Biblically speaking, our hope, our home, our inheritance, our portion is not in this world. It is in the world to come. This is a veil of tears. We are pilgrims on the way to Zion. This world is filled with sin and misery. And we are awaiting that glorious world to come where there will be no sin, where there will be no misery whatsoever. And the world wants us to have great expectations for this world. And the Bible says you need a reality check. Oftentimes we get angry with our circumstances because we've set the bar too high. Our expectations for what we should expect in this life. Well, I expect to be treated in this way. And I expect certain things to work out in my life in this way. And so on and so forth. We have all these expectations. But the Bible says, really? You're upset about this? What were you expecting? If you read the Bible, what were you expecting in this veil of tears? In this life? In this fallen world of sin? and misery. And, and, and oftentimes, we can become angry at our circumstances. Meanwhile, we're in the most blessed, the most prosperous and free and healthy, you know, 1% in the entire world. And yet, we're still not happy because things haven't worked out for us in a certain way as we were expecting. Well, we need a reality check. Patience is the fruit of heavenly mindedness. Paul could say, even with 
all of the great troubles and trials and persecutions that he faced, he could say that it was light and, and but for a moment compared to the far more exceeding eternal weight of glory which is to come. So again, preach these things to yourself. Identify which of these aspects, maybe there's another aspect or maybe it's multiple of these root causes in the same situation. Figure out what the issue is and get back to the biblical truth that addresses that problem. Get back to Jesus Christ as your source of contentment. Get back to a right assessment of yourself as deserving of hellfire. As Joel Beakey once said, not in hell and still complaining. And I know that's kind of the hard-nosed Dutch reform mentality, but, but it's true. Get back to an attitude of service and patience and um, selflessness toward others. Get back to a more realistic expectation for this fallen world of sin and misery. These are, these are root causes to be aware of. Another way to help defeat sinful anger is to identify and be prepared to oppose common excuses that arise for sinful anger. Excuses for sinful anger. Often when we're trying to combat sinful anger, and, and of course knowing and recognizing and confessing the sin is half the battle, and we fall short of that. We sometimes aren't willing to admit that our anger is sinful because we have these excuses that just ooze forth from our remaining sin. Now I want to say this, by the way, that these excuses, they may be just in our own hearts and minds, they may affect our thought process, but sometimes we find ourselves articulating these excuses to other people. And people confront us, people are upset with us because we're upset with them. You know, there are these conflicts and we seek to give excuses for our sinful, angry behavior. And when we do that, frequently, our excuses can be more hurtful than our angry behavior itself. If you've lashed out at someone in anger and you've expressed sinful anger through your communication or through your actions, whatever it is, and you've hurt someone and you've offended them and you've grieved them and sinned against them, that's bad enough. But when you then defend yourself, and typically when you defend yourself, you're basically lashing out at them again, giving all the reasons why they deserve it, it's actually more hurtful than if you had just not said anything and just engaged in your sinful, angry conduct and moved on. But when you defend it, it turns the knife oftentimes. So be aware of that. We need to overcome these things. So what are some common excuses for sinful anger? First, you often hear people who say, he made me angry or she made me angry. In other words, I was provoked. I was provoked by what he said or what she said. My friends, nothing is more common than this. Here I was minding my own business and she said that or he said that. They made me angry. But as my mother used to say, probably, well, still does say, you're not your feelings, you're your choices. Nobody can make you angry. You're choosing to be angry. That's why it's called self-control, right? Exercising self-control. You're making the choice to be angry or you're making the choice to control your temper. Nobody makes you angry. And you say, but, but under the circumstances, it's just 
I mean, it's so unreasonable. This person is being so utterly unreasonable. And yet, my friends, the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is patience. The fruit of the Spirit, if you read through the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love suffers long and is kind. Love is long-suffering. That's a great word. We don't need to go to the Hebrew or the Greek or anything to figure out what that word long-suffering means. It's right there. It means to suffer for a long time. Love suffers long and is kind. God is love. If He saved you, He's put the Holy Spirit in you who is a spirit of love, who produces love in your heart. God's loved you. You love God in return. And you manifest God's love to other people in your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. So if you're a true Christian, you can suffer long and be kind. And if you're saying, I can't do that, there's this circumstance where I literally cannot suffer long and be kind, what you're really saying, if you do the math and boil it down, what you're really saying is, I'm not a Christian. And I don't love. I hate. Because to refuse to suffer long and be kind, if it's not love, it's hatred. You're basically renouncing your profession of faith in Christ. So you need, to, you need to refute that objection by stripping away the exterior and cutting to the heart of the matter. Another common excuse, this is just my personality. We talked about this this morning, but this is just my personality, you know? I, 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 just, uh, I just have a bad temper. That's how I've always been. It's my upbringing. You know, my dad or my mom had this problem. It's just my culture, my background. No. Sorry, you're not, you're not going to get away with that. That's not a legitimate excuse for sinful anger. I mean, there's no legitimate excuse for any sin. There's always a way of escape to avoid sinning in the midst of a temptation. But you can't just say, this is who I am, unless what you're saying is, I am defined by the works of the flesh, outbursts of wrath. I am defined by hatred and malice and anger and wrath. That is who I am. I am not a new creature in Christ. I am not a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saved. I'm not a new, a new person with a new heart. I don't have Jesus Christ living inside of me, enabling me to, to be conformed to His example and walk in His steps. Nope. That's what you're saying when you say, that's just who I am. Because if that is who you are, then you're not a Christian. And you're headed for hell. And we're dealing here with Christians. So, think about that. You profess to be a Christian. In all charity, I'm acknowledging, you're a Christian. So, you need to deal with this. That's not a valid excuse unless you just want to renounce your faith altogether. Another excuse that's commonly used. My expression of anger is nothing compared to fill in the blank. Uh, So, You know, Jesus talks about different degrees of expressing sinful anger. Maybe it's just in your heart. Uh, Maybe you say raka, you know, empty head. Maybe you call someone a fool and completely write them off and demonize them. We talked about that this morning. But, But you're saying, my expression of anger is nothing compared to these greater, more heinous violations of the law of God. Well, what you're doing here is engaging in comparative self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is no excuse. 
Because at the end of the day, actually, you have no righteousness. In the sight of God, the fact that you punched a wall and somebody else pumped somebody else's guts full of lead with a, with a machine gun, it doesn't matter in God's sight. Ultimately, you're both sinners. You're both under His wrath. You've both sinned. If, if, if either of you repents and believes on Christ, you'll be forgiven. If either of you continues in sin, you'll both go to hell. So, at, at the end of the day, just because there's somebody out there who's engaged in a more heinous form of sinful anger, that does not get you off the hook. You will still meet your Maker and give an account for your sinful anger. And comparative self-righteousness is just another sin that you're adding to the equation. This, this is a big danger. You know, somebody confronts you for your sinful anger, for your tone of voice, for your facial expressions, and you say, well, I didn't call you a name. Well, I didn't use any foul language. Or I used this bit of foul language, but I didn't say that like so many other people do. Or I used this horrific foul language, but I didn't punch the wall. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't damage anything. I mean, we could go on and on. But again, it's still sinful anger and it still is abominable in the sight of God regardless of how you can compare yourself favorably to other people another common excuse that people use I had a long day and I was tired I had a long day and I was tired now bringing this up I'm not seeking to minimize the difficulties, and the laborious circumstances that we often find ourselves in. We all have long days. We all get tired. And yes, that does sometimes predispose us or make us more vulnerable to temptations. Certainly, the forces of darkness are looking for those opportunities. And therefore, we need to be even more on guard in those difficult situations. But, but it's often an excuse. I had a long day and I was tired. But you know, Jesus had a lot of long days, and Jesus was tired. Jesus lived a life bearing the sins of His people. He lived a life in which He was regularly staying up all night in prayer, you know, chased around the countryside by thousands of people who wanted to be healed. Jesus had many long days, Jesus was tired, and Jesus never lost his temper. You say, well, what do you expect? That I'm going to be like Jesus. Well, yeah. Well, that's impossible. Right. Again, let's get back to the gospel here. Uh, with man, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. Salvation is a miracle. Conforming wicked, hell-deserving sinners, angry sinners like you and I, conforming us to the Lord Jesus Christ day by day is a supernatural miracle of God's omnipotent power and grace. That's what it is. So, so when I say, yes, you need to be like Jesus, Jesus did it this way, and you need to be like that. If that throws you off, there's a red flag. Because the true Christian by faith is going to say, you know what, I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want Jesus to live in and through me. I want to be like Him. I want to walk in His steps. I want to come after Him, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Him. And by the grace of God, though it is impossible from a human standpoint, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And we see examples of 
sinners saved by grace in the New Testament, like the Apostle Paul, who had a a lot of long days, a lot of tiring experiences. You can read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. Let me read some of these things. He talks about his experience as a minister of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. You go to chapter 11, verse 23 of that same epistle. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day. I mean, he goes on and on. And this is the same guy who's saying, be angry and do not sin. You've learned the truth as it is in Jesus. You're a new creation. Put off the wrath, the clamor, the anger, the bitterness. Put on the new man in Christ. And Jesus Christ will sanctify you and empower you to overcome sinful anger. Paul was able to do it by the grace of God. And so can you in Christ and through His strength. So so we can't use that excuse. I had a long day and I was tired. Well, let me conclude with some practical counsel for the angry Christian. Practical counsel for the angry Christian. First, make a humble, unqualified confession to God and to the victims of your anger. That's the first step. Knowing is half the battle, recognizing the sin, but once you've recognized your sinful anger, make a humble, unqualified, in other words, without excuses, without you know, using an apology as a pretext for you know, bringing more criticisms. Make a humble, unqualified confession of your sin to God and to the victims that you've sinned against. You have to do that. You have to confess to God. You have to confess to the people that you've sinned against without any excuses. Secondly, identify and address your triggers. Now, I know that's a word that psychologists use and maybe it's not the best word, uh, but, but I think, I don't know, I kind of like gun language, but identify and address your triggers. Figure out as you analyze, I mean, you know, Oftentimes, we do think about ourselves. We analyze our lives. Many of us do. Analyze your life. Think about, even document, jot down what are the most frequent times and places and people and activities that are associated with your sinful anger. Are there specific people that provoke you to wrath that you need to be leery of? Maybe people that you shouldn't spend much time with. Maybe there are people in your life that you can't avoid and you have to think about how to proactively prepare for those interactions. Are there certain places, certain times? Is there certain food or drink that you should avoid that are contributing in some way to your sinful anger? I think specifically of even the moderate use of alcohol. Sometimes you know, you, you have a beer or you have a glass of wine. That can be just, just the thing that removes just a, 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 a tick of just a, a little bit of inhibition that if you're in a situation of temptation where you have to be on point and ready and vigilant against pro- provocations to anger, 
um, maybe just avoid that in those types of situations. Maybe there are foods, again, these are things for you to think about. Identify these contributing factors, these triggers. And, and in addition to that, when you identify some of the things that you're angry about, take time to pray and talk yourself through those angry feelings that you have. Take time alone and talk to the Lord about it. Think about it. Meditate on it. You know, be angry and do not sin. If you go back to Psalm 4, the context is that you're speaking to yourself on your bed. Talk yourself through it. Pray yourself through the angry feelings. Articulate them. Seek to identify the root cause. Go over the list. Is it a wrong source of contentment that's preventing me from bearing this offense and dealing with it in a, in a righteous way? Is it a wrong assessment of myself thinking I deserve better? Is it a wrong attitude? How I'm viewing other people and how they relate to my life? Is it wrong expectations? Unrealistic expectations for what I should expect in the circumstances of life in a fallen world? Pray yourself, talk yourself through your angry feelings, speak to yourself on your bed, be angry and do not sin. Identify, preach to yourself and identify the way of escape from your sinful anger. And I I mentioned something about this this morning. We need to be careful that we don't misunderstand the command to not let the sun go down on our wrath. As I mentioned before, it, it doesn't mean don't let the sun go down on the argument. Don't let the sun go down on the back and forth conversation that's happening. What it means is you need to deal with your wrath so that you're no longer filled with wrath and bitterness toward that person and you need to deal with it before the sun goes down. And sometimes that actually means that you put a stop to the argument. Sometimes that means that you make it a point. This is over. This conversation is over. Uh, Give the person the last word or whatever and, and then go to the secret place and pray and talk yourself through your angry feelings so that between you and the Lord, you can identify the root cause and deal with your anger before the sun goes down. But sometimes people think, don't let the sun go down on your wrath means you got to keep going back and forth till 4 a.m. And what happens is that actually prevents you from uh, putting away your wrath before the sun goes down. In fact, it does quite the opposite. So we, we need to sometimes just get away from the conflict and privately pray through it. Fourthly, Be filled with the Spirit. The best defense is a good offense. If you're going to avoid being filled with wrath and anger, you need to approach it the same way the Apostle Paul approached people who were getting drunk. Don't be filled with wine, Ephesians 5, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, His graces. Be filled with godly, Christ-like attitudes. Be filled with humility. Be filled with gratitude. Be filled with just a thankful reflection upon God in your life and all that He's done for you and all that He promises to do moving forward. Be filled with that grateful humility. Because there's no neutrality. I mean, if you're not filled with gratitude, you're filled with ingratitude. If you're not filled with humility, you're filled with pride. If you're not filled with watchfulness, then you're filled with carelessness. So so go on the offensive. Be proactive and be filled with the Spirit. Self-consciously 
taking on and, and meditating upon these graces, these attitudes. And the way that you do that is taking time for prayer and meditation and even memorization of Scripture or singing through different psalms during the day. Find a way to fill yourself with Christ, the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly. To fill that vacuum so that when sinful anger comes knocking at the door, sorry, there's, there's no room in the end. There's no room for that because you're already filled with gratitude and humility. Well, finally, learn to slow things down. We're to be slow to speak, slow to wrath. And we already mentioned this several times in our previous sermons on sinful speech, so I'll be brief here. But in situations where you feel provoked, in situations where the, the anger is welling up within you and you feel your flesh and even the devil maybe has a foothold there, when you identify that, just try to hit the pause button as best you can. And just stop and be slow to speak. Make it a point. Say, Pray to the Lord at that moment. Say, Lord, I am not going to say anything. I'm not going to give a facial expression. I'm not going to do anything until I'm sure that it's what you want me to do in this situation. If you have to count to 10 silently, count to 20, count to whatever it takes, be slow to speak. Avoid the knee-jerk reaction. Avoid the autopilot response of the flesh. Be slow to speak, slow to react, slow to wrath. If you have to, in a polite way, get to a private place and, and just take it before the Lord, do it. Slow things down. Filter things out. Find the root cause. Pull out the root of bitterness and be filled with the Spirit of God. That's the way that we defeat sinful anger. And big surprise at the end of the day, what does it come down to? Just being watchful, staying in your Bible, praying, and staying focused on what God's called you to do. That, that's really all it is. And so we ought to come away from this with a bias for optimism as we approach this battle. That we have the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit, we have open access to the throne of grace. We have knowledge of our circumstances. That's pretty easy to identify where these triggers exist. And we know the kinds of attitudes, these Christ-like attitudes that we need to cultivate through prayer, meditation, and memorization. So by the grace of God, let's do it. Let's do it. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let's begin to examine ourselves, to identify, and to put to death these sins of the flesh. Let's pray. Gracious God, You are the Almighty God, and we put our trust in You. We are weak, but in our weakness, You manifest Your strength and the power of Christ rests upon us. We are poor and we are needy, and we ask that You would draw near to us and that You would impart to us the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, that we would identify our sinful anger, that we would confess it to you and to others, that we would trample upon it and destroy it through these biblical means, through this spiritual warfare. Give us the victory, we pray, through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.